the statement that I closed with last week in part one of this series, Finding Morality. Uh, again, this is all about exactly what the title says, the series title says. It's about rediscovering what morality is in our lives and where might we have uh, come up short in those areas. Morality is defined in many, many ways, and it depends on who you are talking to. If you line up 10 people and you ask each of them what does morals, what are morals, each of them, even if you ask them a specific question, this moral question, and you were specific about it, 10 people would have a different answer of what that is. And that is because of the experience that they've grown up in. So if my life reflects, see how I can say this, if my life is going to reflect or my attitudes or my conduct or my moral compass is going to reflect the experiences that I find myself in throughout life, is that acceptable? It's a rhetorical question, but you can answer if you want to, yes or no. Is it acceptable if I allow my morals to be established by my experiences of life? In other words, I'm living through my life. I'm, I'm 56 years old today, so I've had 56 years to be able to begin to define what is morally acceptable and what is morally not. Is that okay to define it that way? Or is it better to define my moral or to get my moral compass or to level it, balance it, get the bubble in the middle, no matter what my experiences are, to find my moral compass based on what God's word is. I think we would all agree that the best way to get the right moral compass is to align that with the word of the Lord. Not simply to say, well, you know, this is popular opinion, times are changing, things are different now, so we're just going to accept that. And there are a lot of things that are called morals today that are not morals, they are simply accepted in society. The word moral, the root of the word morals, does not come from anything man gets to decide. Without God, there's no such thing as morals. Morals exist within the Father. Yahweh determines what, what is morally right. Society doesn't get to do that. That's why there's a difference between laws and morals, and we'll get to that in a second. But let me begin today with a statement that I closed with last week in part one. The statement was this. The redeeming power of salvation isn't just that we can know God again. That's great. But it isn't just that we can know God again, but the redeeming power of salvation is that we now have access to all that is Yahweh's, even His way of seeing things. In fact, we sang about that this morning, seeing what He sees. I want to see what He sees. I want to see it the way He sees it. And I want to be a part of that so that I can align my life accordingly. So again, the redeeming power of salvation isn't just that we can know God again although that's wonderful, but it is that we, can, we now have access to everything that is the Father's, even His way of seeing things. I want you to ask yourself three questions. If you're on the Bible app, you'll, you'll see these there. Ask yourself these three questions. Are morals still important? 
You can answer on your own in that little app. Are morals still important? Do they have any place in how we live? Are they even relevant? Or should we just say, you know, there are laws in place that define what I, what's right and what's wrong. I'm just going to live by the laws and the morals will come in line. So again, do they have any place or any relevance in how we live? And who gets to choose what morals are right for you? Or what are morals for you? Who gets to choose these things? I want to speak today. I want to begin speaking. And if I were going to title, subtitle this particular part of the series, I would call it the bank. Everybody say the bank. bank. So finding morality, part two, the bank. Again, everybody say it's a bank. You'll understand that in just a moment. I want you to consider that you are a bank of morals. And if doing so, if I'm looking at myself and I'm asking myself or saying to myself, Steve, you are a bank, you are a moral bank. Would I find that I am morally bankrupt or would I find that I am morally rich? I want you to ask yourself the same question. Consider that today you are a moral bank as you begin to look into the accounts of your moral bank. Would you find that your accounts, that within those accounts, you find yourself morally rich or would you find that you are morally bankrupt? That's a question that only you can answer. I want to begin, though, with the first one, what it means to be morally bankrupt by reading in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Verse 33, reads like this, read it last week, I'm reading it again today. Do not be deceived, bad company ruins good morals. Read it again, do not be deceived, bad company ruins good morals. In another version it says bad company ruins good behavior. No matter how you name that, it is a given that bad company is bad company. It's not going to produce anything good. Does it mean that the people that you're with are bad? What it means is that if their morals are not aligned with your morals and you are unequally yoked with that person, not just, I'm not talking about marriage here, I'm talking about simple relationships, and you are unequally yoked with somebody, a friend, a neighbor, a classmate, a, an employee, a co-worker, whatever it is, and you are unequally yoked with them, and the morals are different, for you, that's not going to work out well. Because bad behavior, bad company will always ruin good morals. No one in here, no matter what we believe about ourselves or how confident we are in ourselves, there's nobody in this room or nobody watching online that can say that you are never influenced by somebody else's behavior. You cannot say that. You are every day, you will be influenced by what someone else has done. You can say, it doesn't matter to me what they think. It doesn't matter to me what they say. It doesn't matter to me where they're going. I'm not going to be a part of that. And yet, you will find yourself considering when people do things, at least, at a minimum, considering what it is they're saying, where they might be going, why they might be doing it. We are people created to need each other. We were created to be one nation, one kingdom under God. Not, I'm not talking about the United States. I'm talking about the people. We were created to want company. 
We were created so that I could enjoy the presence of others so that you, your iron, could sharpen my iron and my iron could sharpen yours. We were created in every sense of the word to need one another. And that need shows up when we're around people, whether we agree with them or disagree with them. The need for other people and their approval or disapproval, the need is going to show up. And we can, again, say what we want to, but let's today peel off the Mr. T toughness layer and let's just be honest with ourselves and let's just say, you know what? I have been influenced. In fact, every person sitting in your seat right now or under the sound of my voice today, every single person can think of an example within 30 seconds. You could think of an example where you did something that you watched someone else do or said something they told you to say and you were influenced by them. Every single person. Even if it was was something you did not want to participate in. Why am I saying all this? Because I want to emphasize 1 Corinthians 15, 33. Bad company ruins good morals. But we have a decision. We have a choice. How we live and what we do, if I'm going to take that verse, and, and I want to not be morally bankrupt, but I want to be morally rich, the first thing I need to do is consider the company I keep. The things that I'm going to share with you today are really simple. They're really base. doesn't really require a whole lot of thought. What it does require is my own attention to where I find myself every single day. does find me having to ask myself, are the things that I do and the places I find myself, are those places, do they honor God? And if they don't honor God, they don't honor you. And I don't think there's any of us, you would not be here today if your heart was not one way or the other to honor the Father. In Isaiah chapter 5, verse 20, it reads like this. It says, Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who, bitter, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Woe to those who join it all together and say, you know, God's a forgiving God. It doesn't matter what I do. Everything's going to be okay. It, he's, not, he's not paying attention to whether I do this right or I do that right. A morally bankrupt person is a person who has come to the place where they no longer consider what the Father thinks about any given situation. A morally bankrupt person is a person who has come to the place where they find that they are seeking the pleasure of men more than they are seeking the approval of God. They're a person who has come to the place where they believe that as long as society says it's okay, or let me make it even more real, as long as my parents say it's okay, then it must be okay. And that may be true for a season, but at some point every child will become, a, will become an adult. And then what? We've got to come to the place where we are making a decision and we are doing things recognizing in our own life, the Father put me here for a reason, and I want to make a difference. And I don't want to succumb to what everybody else is doing, and I don't want to fall prey to popular opinion. Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Well, how do you get to a place where you're so morally bankrupt, you no longer know what is sweet and what is bitter? In fact, there's a saying, I can't think of it, I tried to think of it this morning. But there's a saying, somebody help me, you'll know it, because it's, it's said a lot. I love the saying, I just don't remember it. But it has something to do with, you'll get more bees with honey than vinegar. Is that what it is? 
Say it again. You get, say it again. You draw more flies with honey than you will with salt or vinegar. I'm, I'm like, I, I think I like bees. I'm going with bees. You're going to get more bees with honey. Than, I don't know. Bees sting. But you're going to get more bees with honey than salt or vinegar. Here's the point. The person who coined that understood the difference between sweetness and bitterness. They understood the difference between what is sweet and what is bitter. And here's a better point. Everybody in this room understands the difference between what is sweet and what is bitter. The problem isn't, it's never, whether or not we know what is right. It's whether or not we do what is right. Because the Spirit of God dwells in all of us. So again, it's never a question whether or not I know what is right. The question is, will I do what is right. Why is this important? Because a morally bankrupt person is going to find themselves in a position, I'm getting a little ahead of myself, but they're going to find themselves in a a position where if God is going to inhabit this temple that is his, everybody lay your hands on yourself, say, I am the temple temple. that God dwells in. If he's going to inhabit this temple, I'm going to tell you he's he's not going to inhabit a, a temple that does not honor him. So if I find that I am morally bankrupt or have become morally bankrupt, I got there, or let me rephrase that, doesn't matter how I got there, doesn't matter how you got there, doesn't matter if over time you begin to listen to the wrong voices and you were influenced by the wrong people, you were hanging around all the bad company, it doesn't matter how you got there. What matters is that you come to the place where you recognize I am morally bankrupt, I have lost sight of what will honor the Father. So in order to make that clear, I want to define the difference between what is law and what is morals. It's very easy to follow law. It's very easy to say, for someone to say, this is the law and this is what you're going to have to do. You break the law and it's sin. It's really easy to do that. But the Father doesn't desire for you nor I to live by law. In fact, the very nature of Christ is that we come under a dispensation of what? grace. We're in a place where he's not trying to tell us what all the rules are and say, if you do this, all is good. If you do this, all is bad. Instead, he did something a little bit different and he's imparted to us the nature of himself, which is to do good. He imparted that to us when he breathed, when we came to Christ and we said, forgive me, I recognize that my life has been absent you. I have not received you. When we came to Christ, what the Father did was he breathed into us the very nature of himself again. He renewed in us. We were born again. We literally became something different than we were moments before. And we have new passions, new desires, new hopes, new dreams, a new focus because we're seeing with his eyes. And what he wants to do now is help us to lay hold of not the law, but to lay hold of what honors him. There is an awareness in us. So let me explain the difference between what laws are and what morals are and make a couple of statements. Laws are decided by man. Say that with me. Say laws Laws are decided decided by man. You don't have to say the rest of this. And what society believes is good for mankind. Laws are decided by man and what society believes is good for mankind. 
So there's people sitting in rooms every single day when the legislature gathers in the United States Senate or wherever they're at in Washington, when the legislature uh, gathers in the state and the nation in whatever form or capacity, any country in the world, when they gather together, what they're doing is they're legislating. They're, they're putting together, they're deciding these are going to be the laws. This is going to be what the world uh, will honor. This is what we're going to expect. And if they break it, they're going to jail or whatever the consequences might be. Now, the reason every day that they're gathering and they're establishing or legislating or bringing or creating new laws is because every day something new is introduced that did not require a quote-unquote law before. So in order to address that, listen, in the last two years, we've probably had more new laws written than maybe ever. It is, there has been uh, a need uh, in some ways and a lack of need in other ways, but there has been need for sure, for some laws to be established within the United States. I'm only speaking for the U.S. Within the United States to govern things that have gotten out of control. There was a need for it. But there's a difference between law and morals. Here it is. So again, laws are decided by man and what society believes is good for mankind. But morals are decided by God. Say that with me. Morals are decided by God, you don't have to say the rest, and they represent a kingdom code of conduct that honors Him. Morals represent a code of conduct that is inherent in us because the nature of God is within you and me. There is a presence in us that wants to do what's right. Even when we don't do what's right. In fact, Paul said, when I want to go here, I go there. When I want to go there, I go here. When I want, what? And he, he shares, he, it's difficult. I, when I want to do right, I do wrong. But it is an eight in us. It is within us because the nature of God is in us. It is within us to want to do the right thing. But that's because the presence of Holy Spirit is within you and it is within me and it is always calling out to prepare this temple for the presence of God that wants to fill it. Am I making sense this morning? So laws are decided by man, but morals are decided by God. And all this, I'm going to put it all together in a second. It is possible to be within man's law or to be within the law, but outside of God's code of conduct or moral standard. I could give a thousand and one examples in about 20 seconds, but you can think of your own. Let me say it again. It is possible to be within the law, but outside of God's code of conduct, which prevails. Say it again. Which is morals. It is amoral. Not amoral like immoral, but it is one of many morals that he puts in place. It is possible to be within man's law, but outside of God's code of conduct. And morals are not always found within the law, and the law is not always found within what is moral. Because what Yahweh did when he sent Christ is Christ came to abolish the law. If, listen to me, 
This is a, as true a statement as could ever be made. Hear what I'm saying. If every single person under the sound of my voice were morally rich and there were no moral bankruptcies going on, law would be unnecessary. Because every choice you made would be in line with, the God's, with God's code of conduct, which will always prevail over the law of man. And it even prevails, this is the rest of the story, over the law of God. He established in the first testament his laws to bring people to a place to receive his grace. When they received his grace, at that moment there was, there was a standard that was pre- present. And I'm using this term loosely because we're talking about finding morality. But there was a moral compass that was imparted into every person there is who receives Christ that says, I'm, I'm hearing the voice of God. And what I feel, you, I'm not talking about audibly, maybe you do, maybe you don't. But you hear the voice of God, you know in your spirit, you know in your heart and the depth of who you are, this is the way I should walk in and I'm going to walk in it. I'm telling you, his morals, his morals are always going to be awakened in you. When you are, no one in this room, and I'm trying to use examples other than I used last week, but no one in this room is going to find yourself in a moment that is immorally, that is, it's just not morally right. You're not going to find yourself in that position and not know that you're in that position. You have to, in every sense of the word, I put this chair, I had Matt put this up here, I thought I might sit down, but that's, not, that's outside of my nature. <laughs> the, what you're going to do is you're going to find yourself every single day with an opportunity to make a decision. Well, the law says that this is okay. And I can live by that law. The law says premarital relationships. There's nothing illegal about that with the exception of two states. There are still two states that you can't, you can go to jail for it. They probably wouldn't arrest you. There's nothing, it's legal to have premarital relationships. And I'm just using that word loosely so you understand for the kids in the room. There's no law against, in most states, against adultery. Again, there aren't a few. It's legal. There's no law against drinking so much you don't even know your name anymore and waking up under a table. You know, for me, that was an experience that I had a long time ago. When I realized this isn't the way for me. And I woke up so sick from drinking so much under my aunt's table when I went AWOL in the Air Force. That's another story. Should have even said that. (laughs) And I didn't know God. And I woke up so drunk under my aunt's table vomiting and throwing up. I knew that day. Everybody who does this is an absolute idiot. People drink to get here. I'm going to stop to stay away from here. (laughs) And then I got saved years later. But I got saved. Never had to look back. 
But for you and for me, when we begin to assess and we begin to put together what the Father has lined out for us, just because it's law doesn't make it morally right. It's morally, it's legally right for you to post on social media anything you want to. Hear me, people. Just hear me because there's a reason we're doing this series. It's legally okay by the laws of man for you to post pictures of yourself any, almost any way you want to. Clothed, barely clothed. It's legally for you. It's legal for you to post anywhere you want to, to write a book and to say whatever you want about anyone because speech is free. You can say just about anything you want to. It's legally right. But morals don't always align with the law. In fact, any time that the law and the morals overlap one another, it's because the law found that that moral was good. But in time, hear my words, the law will find that that moral is no longer acceptable and write a law against it. So morals will not be found within the law. Obey the law. But our priority should be the morals first. The conduct of God. So morals are not always found within the law. The law is not always found within morals. So a morally bankrupt person is this person who has come to the place, and they may not even know it, and there's no condemnation here, and I'll come back to that in a minute. But there's no condemnation in what I'm saying today, whether online or in this room. You find yourself, as I describe what moral bankruptcy is, it's when we come to the place where, you know, I've paid really close attentions to the law. I thought I've done everything that I, I should have done. I've not broken any laws. But you know what? Today I realize that but there's some morals or code of conduct that God requires of me that, that I violated that. You never felt like you needed to repent because you kept all the law. You never considered you might need to repent because you didn't stand morally strong or rich. We want to correct that today. We want to correct that today. Not so that we can say to people who have found themselves outside of the, God's moral code, not for that, because man doesn't get to decide what is morally right. That is up to the Father. But so that you can be healed. And so that you can become everything that the Father wants you to do and wants you to be. And if we can begin, as I said a moment ago, begin to make morals the priority in our life, does this honor the Father? Laws will become irrelevant because you will by default keep them. So a morally bankrupt person is that person that has gotten lost in, they don't even know what morals are anymore. In fact, it would have been interesting before I defined the difference between the law and morals, it would have been interesting to ask every person in this room or have them write down what are morals. And most people would have said obeying the laws. There are things that are going on around us that are in the church today and accepted in the church. There are parents today, kids today, families today that are approving of behavior that is completely immoral in every way. And they enable it. They enable immoral behavior at the expense of a right relationship for that child to be right with God. Is it better... For a parent 
to make sure their children are right with them? Or is it better to, for a parent to make sure that the child is right with God? Even at the expense of the relationship with a parent and child. It's a tough question. So if a parent says to a child, what you're doing is wrong. God does not approve. And says to them, and, and is actually a parent. That's actually why you're there, by the way. It's actually why you're there. If you're not doing that, you're failing. I'm just making it plain. It's a parent's responsibility not to say to a child, grow up the best you can, and, and I just, I'm just going to support whatever decisions you make. Really? I just, you know, and I hope at the end of the day you make it. It's a parent's responsibility to say, you know what, that's legal, but it's not God's code of conduct. It will not honor him, and I am not going to in any way help you stay in that condition. I'm, I'm going to love you because you're my child, but I'm going to tell you I love you as a person, but I'm not loving that immoral thing in your life. Is anybody hearing me today? And I'm going to make it even more plain because this is the way it is. Parents, put your hand over your kids' ears. Parents, buying their teenage girls birth control or their teenage boys condoms can I make it plain what are you saying to them do the best you can I'm not going to hold you accountable I'm just going to hope God gets a hold of you don't put it on him because he put it on you if you don't Take the responsibility that you've been given to guide the child and to be truthful with them. God's not going to come in and sneak in the back door and usurp the authority that he gave you to be the parent. Because he is a God of order. This is... You know, when you talk about morals, these are things that you can't help but talk about. There are a lot more things. I, I felt like that made the point. <laughs> Parents, you got your kids. If you're watching online, you're in this room. You're listening down the road from now, and you've got your children. And you know in your heart of hearts, they're obeying the laws, and they're happy with it, but to avoid an argument... You're not willing to address the immoral, the code of conduct that's being broken. They're, they're morally bankrupt. And you're afraid to address it because you're afraid that your, chi your children might be mad at you. You're willing to sacrifice their eternity for 10 minutes of peace. Are these honest questions? So to be morally bankrupt is to come to the place where we no longer recognize what it is to honor the Father. We no longer recognize that this is His temple and that He wants to dwell in it and, and what this temple does, where this temple finds itself, where these ears, what these ears find themselves listening to, what these eyes find themselves seeing, participating in, what this body climbs in bed with. I wanted to honor Him, but you've come to the place when you're morally bankrupt, it no longer does that. It's lost. 
There's opportunity coming. But then there's the morally rich. In Psalm 119.9, I want to read it two ways. He says this, to become morally rich. I'm going to tell you again, if you're in any way, you're morally bankrupt. If you feel like, you know what, I've lost sight, I have lost sight, there's opportunity, don't, do not, don't be mad at me, don't be mad at God, don't be mad at anybody, be mad at you, don't even be mad at you, right. just repent. Yeah. Psalm 119 makes a way, it says, how can a young man keep his way pure? Everybody say, ask this with me, how can a young man keep his way pure? Man, he makes it so simple. And I love, I love, I love, I love, I love that he doesn't include the law in this. He says, how can a young man, and this is First Testament, how can a young man keep his way pure by guarding it according to your word? If we can hear your voice, I might hear it. In my heart, I might know because there's Holy Spirit is making me aware of a moment. I might read it in His Word. I, whatever, however it might come to me. It might be my, my friend that loves God with all of his heart and he comes and he's honest with me or hopefully a parent. How can a young man keep his way pure by guarding it according to your word? I love how it reads in the Message Bible. It reads like this, Psalm 119 in the Message. How can a young person live a clean life? And I'm going to replace the young with just nothing. I'm going to say, how can a person live a clean life? By carefully reading the map of your word. I'm single-minded in pursuit of you. Don't let me miss the road signs that you've posted. Here's the problem with a lot of people that are morally bankrupt. There are no road signs. I just said it a moment ago. Parents are saying, hey, go right, go left. I'll try my best to meet you at the end. Negative, negative, and negative. I bank your promises in the vault of my heart so I won't sin against myself. I won't sin myself bankrupt. Oh, man, here we go. Here we go. This is why we call it the bank today. I'm going to start all over again because it just is so wonderful. How can a person live a clean life? By carefully reading the map of your word. I'm single-minded. Everybody say, I'm single-minded. I'm single-minded in pursuit of you. Don't let me miss the road signs, Father, that you have posted for me. I've banked your promises in the vault of my heart so I won't sin myself bankrupt be blessed God train me in your ways of wise living I'll transfer to my lips all the counsel that comes from your mouth I delight far more in what you tell me about living than in gathering a pile of riches I ponder every morsel of wisdom from you and I attentively watch how you've done it. I relish everything you've told me of life and I won't forget a word of it. That is powerful. How do I bring a morally bankrupt life into a morally rich place? How do I bring a life? How do I get myself who didn't know better or maybe I did and just made the wrong choice. How do I get from that morally bankrupt place to this place? Receiving his word, listening to him, looking again to the father, not looking to what's acceptable because my neighbors are doing it, my classmates are doing it, my co-workers are doing it, everybody else, it's on TV, everybody's doing it. So what? 
So what? We weren't saved by CNN or Fox News. We didn't come to know God because of our science teacher. We don't come to know God. The science teachers are like, what? We didn't come to know God because we get up on time every morning. We come to know God because we receive Christ. We come to know him because we receive Christ. And when we, when we receive Christ and he becomes a part of who we are, transformation takes place. There literally is a born-again experience. Something happens that is supernatural, and at that moment, something comes alive in us, in our passions, in our desires, in our wants, are wanting to honor him. How can, a young per- how can a person live a clean life? By carefully reading the map of your word. I'm single-minded in pursuit of you. Don't let me miss the road signs you post. I love this. I have banked your promises. Everybody say this with me. I have banked. I have banked your promises. In the vault of my heart. So I won't send myself bankrupt. So I won't send myself bankrupt. So what do you do? So here we are in the second part of this series, maybe the last part, I'm not sure. But in the second part of this series, finding morality. The whole intent and purpose of this, Alex, is because everyone in this room can admit that over time, morality is not really clear to a lot of people. Most, again, as I said earlier, could not define it. But when we find morality again, which is the code of conduct that God put in place, not man. Man's laws are not all bad. Probably most of them are good. Some of, who knows? But some of them are good. I appreciate that people have to drive a certain speed when they're around me. I like that. I appreciate it. I appreciate that there's a law in place that people can't just come shoot me when they get mad at me on Sunday morning. I appreciate that law. But if they were morally rich, they wouldn't do that anyway. Not even hypothetically. But the purpose of this series was to help bring us back to the point as I look around and realize that I have a responsibility to lead a generation coming up behind me, and I even see it in the generation that went before me, that there is a loss of moral compass. There is a loss of God's code of conduct present in people's lives. And we've begun to live our lives instead of by His word and by His principles and by His morals. We've begun to justify why I can do this, whatever it is I'm doing. It's not against the law. Maybe not but it might be against his word. And at the end of the day, if I'm going to be found faithful of something, I would rather be found more faithful of keeping God's kingdom code of conduct than keeping any law of man. So to become morally rich, I do this because not because I ignore the words. We just read this in Psalm 119. I don't become morally rich. This bank, these vaults are not filled because I'm hoping that maybe one day I'll understand. It becomes filled because I'm listening to people like this message 
like last Sunday's message. I'm reading the word. I'm talking to the Father. I find myself praying. Don't, in fact, uh, uh, let me take that back. Don't find yourself praying. That sounds like you stumbled upon the moment. I intentionally go before the Father and say, help me see. Help me hear. Line me out. Where are those places that I've missed it? If I'm a parent, where are those places that I need to correct today? If I'm a child, if I'm a young adult, if I'm a whatever, just wherever you find yourself, if there is, if the, if the vault of your heart, if you find that it's empty, the morals of God, but full of the laws of man, close that thing up and fill it with the morals of God and you'll find out the laws will be fine. How do I do that? What now? First of all, I said earlier and I say it again, there is no condemnation meant in the words that I'm speaking to you today. There is no way, whether you are watching online or you're sitting in this room, that my intention is to knock people over the head or to make people feel like, man, he's just being cruel today. And, and what ha- That's not my heart, nor is that my intention. My intention is to open the eyes of every person who's part of this, who's hearing this today. So that you can make whatever adjustments are necessary so that your life can be changed. There is opportunity to receive the truth of God's word and respond to it this morning with a good and honest heart. What does that mean? Put that slide up. First of all, it means forgive yourself. Forgive others. Ask Yahweh to forgive you. And then live your life to honor Him. And you will find that the conduct, the code of conduct that the Father has set in place will be, will be born in you and will begin to come to the top. And you will find that things that you were comfortable with when you walked in the door this morning, you may not be comfortable with anymore. Forgive yourself. For wherever, whatever bankruptcy might have happened, forgive yourself. Don't beat yourself up, man, I can't believe I let myself do this. I can't believe I allowed this. I can't believe I went there. I can't believe I... Whatever it is, no matter how dark it might be, do not beat yourself up. That's the grace of God that comes and says, you know what, repent, and I'll forgive you. But forgive yourself too. Because a lot of people will come to the Father and they'll say, forgive me, Because I've sinned, forgive me because of whatever. But they never forgive themselves and they continue to carry that. And they never get past it. And they dwell on it. They have a hard time, even though God has forgiven them, long forgiven them, they still have a hard time lifting their hands and worshiping Him. Because they carry it. They've never forgiven themselves. So again, I'm telling you today, forgive yourself and then forgive others. Forgive others if they played a part of that. Whoever might have... uh, influenced you to get to that place maybe they pressured you you're not good at that of resisting and you gave in and you found that you violated the morals of God which should be ours too forgive that person don't hold it against them but forgive them and then ask God to forgive you father forgive me and help me see so that I can now honor you
law, keeping the law, never, never keeps us in right relationship with the Father. Keeping his morals always will. Always will. Because if I am very aware of the morals of God, the conduct, the nature of God that is in me, if I'm, if I'm very aware of it, I promise you the law will take care of itself. Father, today, stand with me if you would please. Put your hands on yourself. Today we forgive ourselves. Say it with me. I forgive myself. I forgive, I forgive others. And I ask you to forgive me. Whatever might be empty, whatever might be bankrupt in me, say that with me. Whatever might be bankrupt in me, today I repent. Restore my vision. Restore my passion. I want to see the way you see. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. There's a scripture, one of my favorite in John 15, 15, said everything that I know of my daddy, I'm going to make you aware of. Everything that I know about my father, I'm going to release it and share it with you. Everything. Everything I hear, everything I see, if he's done it, I want you to know about it. If he authorized it, I want you to know about it. There is no condemnation in this house. There is healing present. There is an opportunity present today. When you walk out of this place and you go to your car, you go to your home, you go eat, you get with people today. I want you to begin to recognize the roadmap is Psalm 119 talk. Go back home and read that. The roadmap of 119 and begin to see what that actually points you to. Begin to see how it shares with you, how you can find the right road again. If you've gotten off road, Listen, the same way you got on it, you'll get off it. Just turn around. Go back. Nobody has gone so far that you cannot get it right today. Nobody. So, Father, now I lift my voice over this people. And I pray that all of us in all of our lives, whether they're in this room or watching online, I pray for all of us today. As we go forth from this place, may we in every way hear your heart. In everything that we find ourselves in, may we hear your heart. Everything that we are moving towards, may we hear your heart. If we're walking towards it and it, is, it, and it violates your code of conduct, I pray today as we walk towards that, that you will let us see the truth. May Balaam's donkey rise up between us and it so that we can see. Father, we thank you today because you are a good and a faithful God. You are a faithful Father and we draw out of you in Jesus' name. Amen. Love you. I bless you. Greet one another.